Welcome to the She Recovers podcast. I'm Taryn Strong, co-founder with my mother, Dawn Nickel, of the grassroots movement and nonprofit public charity, She Recovers Foundation. She Recovers believes we are all recovering from something. And here on the podcast, we examine the healing power of connection and intentional living, as well as what happens in our lives when we put down our past stories and pick up our soul's true purpose. If you are seeking accessible and individualized online therapy, I invite you to explore the extensive network of licensed and accredited therapists at BetterHelp. That's Better H-E-L-P, who can help you with a range of issues, including substance use, depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, grief, and more. BetterHelp will be making a $30,000 donation to She Recovers in support of our mission, and they are also offering all of our listeners a 35% discount for the first month of online therapy services from now until December 31st, 2022. I encourage you to say yes to receiving the relentless care and support you deserve by registering today at www.betterhelp.com forward slash SRF. That's www.betterhelp.com forward slash SRF. I hope you find connection, support, and empowerment in this week's episode, and it's an absolute honor to share it with you. Hey, everyone. It's your host, Kelly Fitzgerald Hunko. I'm so excited for you all to listen to this podcast episode today. I spoke with She Recovers coach, Julie Darashinsky. Julie is an International Coaches Federation certified professional coach, a She Recovers designated coach, and an accredited integrative Enneagram practitioner. Julie specializes in mental health coaching and working with high-functioning, high-achieving women who are questioning their relationship with alcohol. Many of the women she works with share the experience that alcohol is no longer serving them the way it used to, and they are noticing an impact on their mental health. Julie is a wife and mom to two young kids, and she spent many years questioning her own relationship with alcohol, and she decided to live alcohol-free in 2018. In her downtime, Julie loves traveling, reading, anything true crime, spending time with her husband and children, and volunteering her time in her community. We speak specifically about using the Enneagram as a recovery tool, how she found she recovers, and why she chose to work as a She Recovers coach and how she helps women in her life today. Can't wait for you to listen. Hello, everyone. I'm so happy to be here with Julie today. Welcome, Julie. Thank you, Kelly. Tell us a little bit about you and who you are and what do you do? Sure. Thank you, Kelly. It's so great to be here. I am a professional coach, and I specialize in mental health coaching and working with high-functioning, high-achieving women who are questioning their relationship with alcohol. Many of my clients identify as gray area drinkers, a term that might be familiar to some of our listeners. Many of the yes. women I work with share the experience that alcohol is no longer serving them in the way that it used to, and they're really feeling uh, an impact on their mental health. So I work with folks to help them imagine what their life without alcohol could look like and partner with them to put a plan in place um, to work towards making that vision a reality. 
That sounds wonderful. And I love it being described as mental health coaching, because that's really what it is. Any type of coaching, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's such a beautiful way to put it and um, a beautiful population of people to work with. And I'm sure there's so many of them out there. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your journey, how you became alcohol free, where'd you start and where did you end up? Sure, sure. Great question. I guess my starting point would be when I began to be consciously aware that maybe I was drinking too much. Um, When I started spending a lot of time Googling, (laughs) it wasn't necessarily how much I was drinking, but really how much I was thinking about it. You know, how much is really too much? Am I or aren't I? You know, doesn't everybody drink like this at the end of the day? And it's the same. It was a really slow progression um, of drinking too much. It, I have two small kiddos who are now six and eight. And it wasn't until our second child was born, which coincided with me turning 40, that I really felt like I needed and relied on wine at night. So, you know, we all think we're going to slow down once we get married and settle down and have kids. My drinking patterns in my 20s and 30s was more about going out after work, traveling, you know, going out for brunch, things like that. It was all very um, event driven, but there was probably events most days of the week. Um, So naturally settling down in the burbs, you know, with kids, um, I think one part of me thought that that would just naturally sort of resolve itself and, you know, I would drink less. Um, except I didn't, it just kind of looked different. Um, there was still a fair amount of social activities, most involved kids and, and, and get togethers. Um, but for the most part, it was, you know, at home on the couch at night with my husband watching TV with wine. Um, and I really got to this point where I felt like I was working hard, you know, every day on, you know, on my career and on momming and parenting and all the stuff that I felt really like it was a nightly reward that I, that I, you know, deserved. So I probably spent a couple of years after my daughter was born, um, dabbling with breaks, right. Which usually lasted about 72 hours or a week or for longer stretches, Mm -hmm. like three weeks where I felt absolutely amazing. And finally in 2018, I just, I had enough. I can't really pinpoint why that time it stuck, but I, I really was done. I was tired of thinking about it, tired of really kind of feeling um, shackled by it. And I just kept going with it and I kept feeling better and better and better. That's, that's good to hear. Yeah. And I don't, and, and also I, I, I sort of wildly oversimplified it. It's not to say one day I just woke up and said, I'm going to be alcohol free now. It was a journey. It still is a journey, but, um, enough, enough was enough. Um, and that was, that was the universe was speaking to me. I was ready to listen. So I, I made a conscious change. So did you use any tools to take breaks those few times that you took some breaks and did you use lean on any tools when you quit completely yeah. in 2018? Yeah. Another really, really good question. I didn't, when I took those breaks, the three or four days or the three weeks, I didn't, I was white knuckling it. And I was conscious of the fact that I was feeling better, but I was truly just abstaining. Um, I think when I finally gave up alcohol in 2018, because in those months prior, I had finally come across 
she recovers. Um, I came across some really awesome books and podcasts that when I did stop in 2018, my toolbox, like a lot of us, um, was a mishmash of things that worked for me, reading and podcasts, community, um, just talking to other women that, um, you know, that, that, that had made the change. And I think that, that was the game changer for me, right? Community, getting involved um, and, and doing the work, the work that felt right for me, right? Which isn't necessarily going to be the same for everybody, but my toolbox worked for me. And I think it's just really important to, to have a toolbox. Right. And that's something that we talk about a lot at She Recovers and the different recovery pathways and patchworks that everyone puts together that's in our community. And that's what makes it so beautiful and diverse um, is that so many people have their own tools and their own way of doing whatever the work is. So that's amazing. And I think books and podcasts and community, those are all things that people who are exploring a sobriety, they do first and they take advantage of and they might spend a lot of time there looking at those things, trying to figure out where they fit or asking themselves those questions. Um, and that kind of brings me to my next question, which is you describe yourself as someone who spent many years questioning their drinking and you went through a little bit of it just now. Um, and we've heard the phrase sober curious mm -hmm. a lot lately. Would you describe yourself as someone who started as sober curious? Um, and can you elaborate on how you feel about that term? And I know you mentioned that um, the type of people that you work with for coaching could be called sober curious or gray area mm -hmm. drinking as well. Yeah, absolutely. I would consider it sober curiosity. A lot of times um, the women I work with would identify more with, or we talk about questioning their relationship with alcohol, which for whatever reason feels softer, right? Because sometimes in the stage of questioning, yes. mm -hmm. we're still not ready to claim um, the word sober, right? That feels stark yeah. to some. Yeah, for sure. um, and it did for me too. Um, and I think oftentimes during those early stages of curiosity, like we don't know what we don't know. Um, for me, everyone around me drank even today. So life on the other side seemed next to impossible. Um, but I do think if you're questioning it, right, if you're curious about it, there's a reason. Um, you know, we get curious about things for a reason. And when our interest is peaked, it's that, that whole that old saying of, you know, people who don't have a drinking problem don't lie awake at 3am wondering if they have a drinking problem, right? <laughs> um, right. And so, yes, I would consider I would consider um, my, my past self to fall into that category of being sober curious. And I coach a lot of, a lot of women who have had, or who are on that same sober curious journey. Yeah. And I think what you just said is such a good distinction that sometimes that phrase sober curiosity and really sober in general, mm -hmm. that word can be very daunting and very scary and um, hold a lot of fear for people. Um, I think that word has a lot of stigma attached to it. We often assume things about people if they say they're sober. Um, so even linked with curiosity, which I think makes it a, a tiny bit softer, mm -hmm. but still can be like overwhelming to some people. Um, so it's good that that you mentioned that because I, I want people to feel like they don't have to call themselves even sober curious yeah. if that's not resonating with them right now or ever, yeah. um, it might not. And that's totally okay. And I like what you, what you said, just questioning, just questioning their relationship with alcohol, thinking about it a little bit more, maybe, maybe spending time Googling like you did as well. Yeah. And just wondering like, is this serving me? 
how is this adding anything to my life? Um, and then going from there. Absolutely. It's beautiful. Yeah. And to your point about the, the, your question around the toolkit for me, when I did, you know, when I went from sober curious or questioning my relationship to alcohol to saying goodbye to it, a big part of that was various podcasts and listening to other women in this whole term, which I know we talk a lot about in the community around recovering out loud, Like it was the first time I was hearing the voices of other women that sounded like me that I could really identify with that were also kind of feeling that that same way or kind of having the same inner inner monologue going on for years and years. It's just so incredibly powerful to be able to hear those women's stories. And it just really brings home that the power of storytelling and how important it can be um, on our paths to recovery. Yeah, I love that. I love that you highlighted that. And I think that's so important, um, especially when we think back to what I'm not going to, I'm going to use the word sobriety has always been defined as traditionally in the past as generally we think of the word alcoholic and that definition and AA and those are typically what we think of. So I think we've, we've come a long way of destigmatizing what these words mean. Obviously we still have a long way to go, but Um, We're working on, you know, widening the tent so that everyone feels included and that they can question their drinking and also quit if they want to and still never have to call themselves any of those labels that don't serve them. Um, Even recovery. Um, I know we are speaking on the She Recovers podcast and recovery is something that we freely use in this community. And obviously anyone can use it whatever way works for them, but that's not necessarily needed in order to be a part of our community. Maybe that word even doesn't resonate. So I think it's beautiful that we're really widening the net and including more people and telling them, you know, you could just be questioning and still be welcome in this community and hear other voices that are on the same path that um, might resonate with you. So sure. Yeah. I love that point. Yes. So you're a She Recovers coach, Mm -hmm. um, which is awesome. And so what made you want to become a She Recovers coach? How was your pathway down that road? And how do you feel about the work that you do in the world as a She Recovers coach? For me, this work is, is, it's deeply purposeful. And I've been drawn to She Recovers really since day one when I was in in Google land. Um, In fact, it was one of the first organizations I came across um, that I thought, man, I could, I could really get behind this and be a part of this. I grew up in a family where alcoholism runs really deep, not outward major consequences of alcoholism, um, more like high functioning, high bottom patterns where everything looked fine on the outside, but it wasn't fine. And, and back then kind of to, to piggyback on what you just said, um, back then my parents' generation, grandparents' generation, um, it was prevention and treatment. There really wasn't much for that middle area. Um, you know, I think there, there was, and there still are many great 12 step programs, but that's not for everyone. And for most of the people in my life, Um, I'm talking, you know, my parents' generation and and folks on my, in my family tree, it wasn't for them. So they kept on drinking. They couldn't identify and they didn't feel apart, um, or connected to that. Um, and that's not to say that 12 steps don't work. They do for so many people. Um, but I think, I think what so many people that I've come across in, in life and in my work is openness and community and connection is what so many folks crave and don't know where to find it 
And for me, she recovers, fills that gap, really that addresses it. So I'm super drawn to this type of work in the world. Again, between that, the, 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 the gray area between sort of low bottom and, and every now and again, drinking um, that gray area that negatively impacts so many people's lives. Um, it's really, it's really purposeful for me um, to talk about my story in this space and work with folks in this space. And if one person, you know, if just one person hears my story and it empowers them to listen to those whispers and reach out for help or, you know, start talking to other people, then, you know, about what they're struggling with, then my heart is full. Yes, that's just so amazing. And we're really like smashing the binary of what it means to be like an, a non-drinker or occasional drinker and what was always considered to be alcoholic or someone with a substance use disorder even. Because there's, like you said, a whole middle area that was never thought about or given any attention to for so many years. And I feel like you're right. She recovers coaches and really any type of sober coach is really filling the gap for people who need support and want to be seen and heard and want to change their lives in some sort of way, whatever that may be for them and really doing the work of helping that huge population that's in the middle. So I really feel like you're changing the game as we all are and doing this coaching work, which is so great. Thank you. (laughs) Awesome. So you're also an Enneagram practitioner, which was really exciting for me to read. Um, So I definitely wanted to talk about that a little bit. So let's start. Can you tell us what that means and what led you down this path and and maybe start from zero for anyone that might not know what the Enneagram is? Oh, sure. This is one of my favorite topics to geek out on. Um, I've always loved the art and science of self-discovery. So my love for this framework, the Enneagram framework as a tool in coaching is no surprise and comes really natural to me. So at its, at its core, the Enneagram is a self-awareness tool, right? Which identifies or aims to identify the unconscious, cognitive, emotional, and behavioral strategies, which literally underlie everything we do. So more specifically, um, it's an ancient model that refers to nine different personality styles. So some might call it a personality test. I I think it's way more than that. So I don't like to to box it into that. Um, But these nine different personality styles, each of which represents a worldview that resonates with the way we all think, feel, and act in relation to the world. So according to Enneagram theory, people are born with a dominant personality type that of course is shaped or that can be shaped by environmental factors and experiences, right? What there's tons of, as, as many of our listeners know, um, there's tons of personality type assessments out there. I've done a whole bunch of them. Um, but with, with, yes, <laughs> I love this stuff, but what's really cool and unique about this one for me is that it delves deeply into our core motivations our fears, our defense mechanisms, like those are all there lurking in our unconscious layers of our personality structure. And that's, those are such engines and drivers for kind of how we show up in the world. And what led me here, um, again, because I've always been drawn to all the different types of personality assessments and things of that nature. um, What led me here is, you know, I, what I found different about it was that 
This one doesn't box us into a type per se. So yes, it gives us a framework from which to understand our motivations and fears, but it goes a step further and really highlights functional and dysfunctional behaviors that kind of stem from those core motivations. So this is where it works really well with recovery. It can be incredibly healing, right? This path to to self-discovery and wholeness that that we're all on in life, but particularly in um, in sobriety or in questioning our relationship with alcohol. Yes, that's such a beautiful way to put it. And I am a seven on the Enneagram. Ooh. I don't know what, what, which one are I you. I am a two. I am a considerate helper. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and I just love, um, <clears throat> I follow a lot of Instagram accounts that have, you know, every day they put out graphics yeah. of like a seven does this. Yeah. And I'm just like addicted to sharing them and like finding myself in those types since I found my own type of on the Enneagram and, and I, I always discover something like, Oh, that's why I do this thing. Or that's why I react in yes. this way. Um, but it's, it's kind of nice to explain yourself in that way. When you're, you feel like you have a personality, you just, it's another way to feel seen and yeah. heard, I guess is a great way to put it. Um, and then, like you said, it can help you with, the motivations to change in life or what, however you're progressing in your life. And it can really underlie um, why you do what you do and kind of what maybe you should do going forward or what you shouldn't do or how you can change along the way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it can also be incredibly healing. Um, like what you said about kind of identifying, Oh, that's, that's, I'm at, I'm doing this because I'm a seven. I find myself having to self-manage as well with other people in my life where I, I, you know, I think, oh, of course you're acting that way. You're a four. That's what I would expect from you. But it's helpful for me to, to think about the people I'm in relation to through this lens, because it, it enables me to show up more compassionately, compassionately in these relationships as well. Right. Exactly. We learn more about other people's motivations and what they might, why they might be doing what they're doing and how we can be more empathetic and everything. Like you said, that's, that's great. So of course we can use this in recovery. And I mean, I I only found it when I was in recovery. Mm -hmm. Um, So how would you use it with a client or recommend that they use it? Or how do you think it ties in exactly to our recovery? Yeah, absolutely. When, you know, when we think about recovery and having a toolbox, I personally think of the Enneagram and use the Enneagram assessment as a key component of that toolbox. So in recovery or in sober curiosity, it's really helpful to understand and get to the root of kind of what what makes us tick, right? How we're thinking, how we're feeling, how we're behaving. And typically, this starts out with our motivations and core fears. So when I'm working with clients, that insight can be really incredibly helpful and healing on their recovery journeys, right? Particularly when we're talking about creating lasting changes and for somebody in recovery, it's, it's, I look at it as an avenue kind of to look at that engine, the drive and the driver that's keeping them in their path to self-destruction. So there's this big agenda of what we just talked about, right? This journey to wholeness that the Enneagram is so useful for. And then I think of micro instances, for example, with folks in, in recovery or who are sober curious, like, 
a vulnerability factor or a relapse trigger, right? Knowing their unique core fears and motivations can be hugely impactful here. We can look for clarity on those relapse triggers that exist for each Enneagram type and use that as a tool in our toolbox. So what I found is that kind of knowing knowing different folks' different people's types can be quite freeing for them and move them closer towards understanding their true selves. Yes, I love that. And I think that's really what it's all about. I I listened to um, Glennon Doyle's podcast, which I know so many of us yeah. do, and she just was speaking about this the yeah. other day, about how we're kind of always on the search for finding ourselves and just getting to know ourselves better and why we do what we do. But what we kind of, or I, I guess I was going to say we forget, but I forget, forgot or like never really put two and two together that like stopping drinking and really I had to start over and get to know myself again and really understand why I did that for so long, which a lot of us do. Um, and then of course, people who are in the process of, of quitting drinking or cutting back need to know those things. Like you said, they need to know why they keep returning to drinking or what they feel like they're getting out of it. Um, because they keep going back, even though they might not feel great when they drink or they might have some negative consequences or they want to stop, but they keep going back, um, those types of things. So this could be a key to really helping them uncover the why. And like you said, the relapse triggers, um, the return to use triggers and understanding that and kind of hopefully preventing it and helping them progress forward in their journey. Absolutely. And, and an example, um, since we talked, since we, we talked about our types as a two, for me as a considerate helper, right? The, one of the core tenets of that is um, a two's basic desire to feel love and to be needed, right? There's safety for me when I am needed. Um, and, and if I'm needed, I'm loved. It's kind of like a close cousin of the codependent. So when, as a two, I am not needed in any way, I'm sitting in stillness, right? And sitting in stillness is hard for me. It's hard for a two. So when I'm not needed and I'm just sitting still, not being self-forgetting and thinking about me, like, who am I, right? This can be this yeah. can be a trigger or a vulnerability factor for me or other folks that might identify um, as a two. So that's kind of one example where, you know, we can look at our Enneagram type through that lens and better understand where the vulnerability factors or these relapse triggers come into play. Yeah, that's a beautiful example. And I think <clears throat> I'm just thinking off the cuff here, but as a seven, I think because I always need like stimulation and like mm-hmm. new ideas excitement and spontaneity that obviously can go hand in hand with kind of like going out and drinking and like doing something we perceive as exciting. Um, And then like when we stop drinking, we might not perceive our lives as as exciting as before Um, or just in my humble opinion, differently exciting because my life is still exciting and I still think it's spontaneous and fun today, but it took me a while to like learn to think absolutely um, and truly, truly believe it. Absolutely. Um, But I mean, I think that had like, so for a whole year before I quit drinking, I tried to moderate and do some things, cut back a little bit, nothing like super serious, but I think that's why it took me so long because my main fear was like, oh, my life is over. Like Mm -hmm. my life is not going to be exciting anymore. I'm not going to be fun and spontaneous and like meet all these new people and have all these fun ideas. Um, 
And I think that really ties into being a seven for sure. But just knowing that about myself now, I have a ton of hobbies. Like I love diamond painting is something I'm really into right now. I read lots of books. I listen to lots of podcasts. I have constant (laughs) stimulation to keep myself busy. You're leaning into it in a really productive and positive way. (laughs) Yes, exactly. What's so interesting is the, the... the set when without getting too technical in the Enneagram, we talk about with each type of vice and a virtue. And for the seven, the vice is gluttony and the virtue is sobriety. Oh, yeah. wow. See, I never even heard that. You, I mean, that's why I love having you on because <laughs> I knew you would teach me, teach me something. I remember, um, that's great. I remember um, during one of the, one of a pro, a, I attended a program and they said something like, you know, you're a seven if if on your last day of vacation, you're planning your next vacation. <laughs> it's like, that feels pretty that, yeah. spot on for a lot of sevens. Oh my gosh. Yes. That is definitely me. Or I'm that person who, when I'm on vacation, I'm like, should we move? <laughs> I could see myself <laughs> living here. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's me. That's for sure. Yeah. Me. That's so great. Awesome. Um, okay. So if someone's listening who has never heard of Enneagram, hopefully they learned a lot by listening today. But what, how can they get started in identifying their number and kind of moving forward, discovering this tool? Sure, sure. There's a wealth of information out there on, on the Enneagram and its roots. Um, there's a really cool book called The Nine Lenses of the World. That's a great one to dig into for somebody who's just looking to kind of get started. Um, there's some great works out there from Beatrice Chestnut, um, Riso and Hudson are great resources as well. There's another um, book out there called The Wisdom of the Enneagram, which is neat if you really want to kind of nerd out on it. Um, And if anyone out there wants their own Enneagram assessment and readout, they are more than welcome to reach out to me directly. And I can dish way more on this topic. Awesome. Yeah. And I can put those websites and people in the show notes for everyone. So you don't have to take notes if you're listening to this right now. Awesome. All right. So as you know, as a She Recovers coach, we are all recovering from something. That's something that we say a lot if She Recovers. And we have women who are in recovery from a lot of things in our community. Is there anything else you consider yourself in recovery from besides alcohol? I mean, sure, all of it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> yes. I Codependence is a big one for me. Um, I'd say I'm not as quite, I'm not as far along as I'd like to be on this one, but it's a process. And as a self-identified considerate helper, this shouldn't be much of a surprise to you based on our conversation. Um, yeah. But that, that's one yeah. that, that, that shows up um, time and time again. And I consider myself a work in progress there. For sure. Yes. A lot of people in our community are in recovery from codependency. So that's makes sense. And I'm sure you've found other people in our community who are feeling the exact same way. Good company. Yes. Um, What is your favorite part about being a coach and having this as your career and helping women? Oh, I love this question. My favorite part about coaching women and helping women um, really is this ripple effect that my work can have on somebody's life, right? So working with, working with, with one, with one person intentionally um, and directly is awesome and fulfilling. Add on to that, the ripple effect that is going to broaden out to her family, her community, her employees, employer, um, and so forth. Um, it just, it, it feels great to be able to, um, make impacts 
small and large out there. And, and I love that I'm doing my small part to recover out loud and provide an avenue for women to, to talk openly without shame um, about their struggles. And I get to meet them exactly where they are on their journey. Yes. Those are so many beautiful things. That's like three things in one, which is so great. And something I've never really thought about in that context, just the ripple effect that coaching does have. And, and even just being a part of this community, the She Recovers community, I think that has a ripple effect as well, or just showing up and us sharing in the Facebook group or on a gathering online. Um, And then obviously we take it one step further with coaching, but it really does have a ripple effect. And I don't think about that very often, like all, Often we think, oh, we're just one-on-one in a coaching session um, or group coaching. And we might not think this person's going to take this and go back into their world and their life and do amazing things and just be a completely changed person and hopefully live a better life, which is just so nice to think about. Absolutely. Um, which she recovers intention and guiding principle do you relate to most? This is something we ask all of our guests. Mm, yes. So it may come as no surprise that the, the principle I relate to most is we don't have to hit rock bottom to pursue recovery in any area of our lives. We believe in early intervention. Yes. Such a great one. And I'm sure that's because you were a person that was questioning their relationship with alcohol for a long time. And I haven't identified with being an alcoholic or anything like that, or having to go to that extreme to really change and change your yeah, life. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's amazing. And then I think that's so powerful for your clients and the people that you help as well, because it's just so freeing and empowering to know that we don't have to hit rock bottom. We literally don't have to do anything as long as we're questioning, we can change. Yeah, And, and your journey is your journey. Um, Part of part of my part of my journey, I think I mentioned this before, how everybody, pretty much everybody I'm relation in relationship with drinks casually, normally, some not normally. Um, the, well, that's probably not the right best use of the word, but I think you, you get where I'm going. And you know, yeah. when I started talking about my story, different people would be like, well, "That's how much I drink. Do I have a problem?" And and it it. I'm finally getting comfortable with it, but my answer to that always is like, only you know, there is no barometer if you drink this much, right? There's all the online quizzes and whatnot, but only you know if it's unhealthy for you. Who am I to say what's 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 over the threshold for another human being? Yeah, that's those are honestly my favorite conversations to have because I'll just love to be say something like, "Well, what do you think?" Yeah, <laughs> like, what, what what is your opinion on on that? Yeah. Um, but just I think us existing and like you said, kind of telling a little bit about our story here and there to people who in our lives who who still drink um, makes them think, and that's like a testament to us recovering out loud and. Literally, we don't even have to do anything. Yeah. We just are existing. Just know me that I'm out here and I exist for you if you need me. Yeah. Right. And you can say like, this is how it changed my life or whatever. Elaborate as much as you feel comfortable or that is relevant in that situation. And it can really like change the way people yeah. think. Or, you know, what I've discovered is people are always listening yeah. and watching mm-hmm. um, the people in our lives that um, you might not think are. They are, and um, they'll reach out to you hopefully if they ever need yeah. it. But but yeah, I think that's another beautiful point about 
just being someone in recovery um, or someone questioning their relationship and just making changes that it's like you automatically become an inspiration for some people, even though, I mean, I, I hesitate to use the word like inspiration, but I mean, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. And that's a beautiful thing. Um, But you don't have to do anything. You just be yourself. Yeah. um, Exist. And And I think some what keeps people from, from questioning or from, from, from asking for help too, is if they're in that sober, curious mindset or questioning their relationship with alcohol, like they may not be ready to even think about saying goodbye to it. But does that mean we shouldn't allow for a conversation, a container without judgment or attachment, right? I think that that's a big piece, I think, that's that's missing too. And that holds a lot of people back from wanting to talk about it and ask for help is like, they're not necessarily ready to commit to making a change and that's okay, right? Right, exactly. Um, and that's something that I see as a huge shift in this recovery, sobriety, alcohol-free community is that, yeah, we have to, again, widen the tent and just make it so people feel comfortable exploring and not necessarily committing to anything yet and that that's okay. And I know, like, personally, for myself, I've been sober for nine years and I just remember it was so different at the beginning. Mm-hmm. It was like you had to identify as an alcoholic, basically, mm-hmm. even if you were resistant to it, even if you didn't feel like it, yeah. it felt right to say that, or like people assumed if you said, I'm sober, that you went to 12 yeah. um, or those sort of yeah. things. So I love that that's not a, not a thing yeah. now, or at least it's starting to not be a thing yeah. and that we can really open it up and say, you don't have to commit to any type of sobriety or even calling it that, or yeah. this is just exploration. This is just curiosity. Um, and see how it goes and how it works for you. And I have some friends, like I have a friend from high school who um, didn't drink for a whole year. And I recently saw her and she started drinking again, but she's um, cut back a ton and she's happy with how it fits in her life. And if you would have asked me like eight years ago when I first got mm-hmm. sober, I would have been like, oh, that is crazy. Mm-hmm. That is not okay. That's not healthy. And I would be throwing so much judgment yeah. But I can say even myself, I've changed so much and I don't feel like that today. And I absolutely think the opposite <laughs> that we have to be more inclusive yeah. and like open it for everyone. Yeah, everybody's on their own journey and those journeys are not linear, right? Very few are. Right, exactly. And what works for us might not work for someone exactly. else and that's totally fine yeah. and that's okay. And that doesn't affect me or my life or what I want my sobriety to look like. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think we have the job of kind of keeping those messages out there and to keep talking about it and keep um, keep on making the changes that we're doing in the world. But I think we're doing a good job. Sure. So what's one thing you can share with our community or anyone considering joining She Recovers if they are new to their journey? Mm. Let's see if I can keep it to one thing. Um, I would say, or several. Okay. That's fine uh, too. I'll string together a few different <laughs> things here and make it sound like one. Um, I would say the universe speaks to you when you're ready to listen. Somebody famous, not me, said that. I don't remember who. Um, <laughs> and it's really stuck with me. I think amazing things happen when you start to really listen and tune in to the whispers. And she recovers is life-changing and life-saving. And it's worth sticking around for. Yeah. Yeah, those are that's a great way to weave together a few. But mm-hmm. yes, 
I totally agree. And that, um, like we've been saying during this whole episode, there's no requirements for joining She Recovers. You can come and be as you are and explore and be curious. And we're here for you and we support that. So wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. And I'll put your info in the show notes so people can find you online. Is there any last words or anywhere that people can find you that you would like to say before we wrap up? Sounds great. Thank you so much, Kelly. It's been a, it's been a pleasure speaking with you and connecting with you and our listeners. So thank you for having me on. Awesome. Glad to have you. 